This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. From agricultural aid packages to the state Supreme Court primary, Cap Times political reporter Brianna Riley has had her hands full at the state capitol this week. But that doesn't mean she's been too busy to report on the effort to extend bar hours in Milwaukee during the Democratic National Convention to 4 a.m. I'm Jesse O'Poyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about state government and politics in Wisconsin. Brianna is here to catch us up this week on the agriculture proposals being introduced by Governor Evers and by the Assembly Republicans, on the verbal punches being thrown in the state Supreme Court race, and on why it might not actually be that easy to keep bars open till 4 a.m. in Milwaukee this summer. Brianna, how's it going? Good, Jesse. How are you? I am doing well. I'm happy to be sitting here with you here in the Cap Times podcasting studio. Live in studio. Live in <laughs> That's studio. What we're doing. <laughs> uh, we got you out of the Capitol for a few minutes. It's been a busy week for you. It's been a busy month. It's, it's been a busy year so far. Just you know? been busy. Yeah. I'm sure it won't <laughs> won't slow down really much for you in the ever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I started reporting um, on state politics in December 2016, and every time I think there's going to be a lull in coverage or that it's safe to go on vacation, <laughs> everything blows up. So, <laughs> yeah, this is this is it. You can never leave. Yep, you can never right. sleep. Um, well, I'm glad we have a little bit of time to talk in between news. Um, so this week, uh, Republicans announced that they are introducing their own agricultural package to either compete with or complement what Governor Evers has introduced. So um, let's start with what the governor has introduced and also why we're looking at these proposals right now. Right. So the governor in his state of the state address a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago to be exact, actually, um, he called for lawmakers to address um, agriculture and rural communities um, for the remainder of the session. So he specifically introduced um, the, the following day a series of bills uh, with an $8.5 million price tag over the biennium that would, you know, seek to do just that. It's part of what he calls a three-pronged approach to help the industry. Um, And let's remember that all of this comes amidst a backdrop of dairy farm closures across the state, milk prices, you know, continuing to struggle. So two weeks ago, those bills were introduced. And um, in the in the interim, um, Governor Evers also called a special session for lawmakers to come in and take them up. Um, lawmakers aren't required to take them up on the same date that he calls the session. So they gaveled in and have left it open. And in the interim, then, um, Assembly Republicans have, you know, had discussions about what they want to see from their own potential egg package. And what they announced Tuesday in the state capitol was sort of a framework, um, no new proposals at this point, but just some general ideas that they're kind of kicking around the caucus. And that includes some new proposals, some proposals that they've previously introduced, and maybe taking up some of Governor Evers as well. So on the new side of things, we have a potential property tax credit for farmers. We have, you know, potential income tax credits for family farms to cover health insurance costs. Um, We don't have any idea of the size or scope of those at this point because 
Assembly Republicans are still going to caucus on them and then formally introduce whatever they come up with at a later date, probably later this week, actually. Um, so we'll have to we'll have to keep an eye on that. But yeah, we'll see what the overlap is between these two com- competing or complementary plans. Yeah, like it sounds like legislative Republicans weren't necessarily opposed to what the governor introduced. They just said they wanted something bigger, quote, bigger and bolder, um, to right. quote some language that's familiar to Wisconsin politics <laughs> followers. But um, it sounded also, though, like in response to that, Governor Evers said, He's certainly not opposed to spending more money. He was just trying to put something out there that would get support. Um, Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he said he'd basically welcome any ideas that are on the table. Um, Senator Fitzgerald, the majority leader in the the state Senate, said the exact same thing. He's all ears when it comes to to farms, and his caucus is happy to, you know, see what's on the table and and go from there. So one thing that's come up, I think, in the past is we're seeing Assembly Republicans talking about spending more money than what the governor introduced. Um, That doesn't always tend to go well in the Senate Republican caucus um, proposals that are putting a lot of money on the table. Have we got any indication that there might be uh, pushback from some of the senators who are a little more loath to put a lot of government money into into programs? It's tough because we're at the point in the session where we have quite a few big um, price tag items that are still that have gone through the assembly and still have to clear the Senate. We're looking at, for example, the the homelessness bills, um, the, the the package of bills looking to combat homelessness and um, address, you know, give more aid to individuals that are in um, unstable housing conditions. One of those bills have passed, but the other six or seven that passed the assembly still have yet to be taken up in the state Senate. We have water quality provisions that, you know, have a have a price tag as well. And we have um, other task force pieces, adoption, um, et cetera, just kind of waiting out there for Senate action. So add this to the list of things that, you know, certainly the Senate senators will caucus about, but it remains to be seen what exactly we'll be spending money on in the state. So this is kind of the um, high stakes time as the session time runs out to figure out what can actually get pushed through and, and agreed on and how much money's left to spend at the end of the day. That's right. Yeah. And um, with two floor dates probably left in the Senate, one this month and one next month, a few in the in the state assembly this month, um, we, you know, it's, it's really crunch time for lawmakers as they try to figure out what can get done and when. So in the meantime, while you're paying attention to uh, the state legislature and the bills that are going through, um, there's a Supreme Court primary coming up in just a few weeks, uh, February 18th. It's three people in the race. You've covered uh, a a forum, several forums um, that that they've competed in, participated in, debated (laughs) in. what are what are the themes running through the the race with these three candidates, two of which will end up on on the ballot in April? Yeah, so let's run through the candidates first. We have the incumbent justice, a conservative who was appointed to the court by Governor Walker in 2016, Daniel Kelly. Um, we have Dane County Judge Jill Karofsky, a liberal and a, f- a fellow liberal contender, um, the Marquette University Law School professor Ed Fallone. Who, Who's run before. That's right, who previously ran for the court. Obviously lost because we're talking about him now. <laughs> right. Um, He's and back trying again. That's right. <laughs> so so it's been interesting watching. I've, I've only – so the, the two debates that I – or forums that I've written about for the Cap Times, one occurred in November and one occurred um, just last week. But the interesting thing there was we saw um, combativeness, right, between um, Judge Karofsky and Justice Kelly. Karofsky continuing to use the line that – or insinuating that the, the court is corrupt, that Wisconsinites can't – can't trust um, 
trust that they'll get a fair shake when they go before the justices. And um, what happens then is after she kind of reiterates those attacks, Kelly at, at some point, and especially last week, really starts directly engaging with her and trying to refute those attacks. Um, he accused her of slandering, um, not just himself, but the court as a whole and the chief just, justice, Pat Rogensack. He demanded an apology um, on Rogensack's behalf, which you know, Judge Karofsky declined to to give, um, but but it, it's a it's a heated race, that's for sure. I mean, we we've, we've heard these charges of corruption. I think in a handful of races that have preceded this one, and you tend to hear it coming from liberals uh, directing it at the conservatives on the court. But it it seems like in the past it's been a much broader sort of a. a, a swipe at the institution or at a, at a block on the institution. And it, it feels more personal this time, this back and forth between, you know, one person calling another corrupt and another accusing someone of slander. And you, this is, you know, th- these are two legal minds using these terms and knowing full well, you know, what goes behind them when they when they throw them at each other. Th- these court races, I guess, always get a little bit uglier than we'd like them to and a little bit more partisan than we'd like them to. But um, I guess we've got what couple couple weeks left to see how this shakes out. Are there any more uh, events coming up where they'll be engaging with each other in person? Yeah, there are a couple more. So we'll be able to see um, see then how that, how, how that uh, relationship between, especially between Judge Karofsky and Justice Kelly continues. Um, I should note that Professor Fallon has, for the most part, stayed above the fray. Occasionally will drop in to comment about how you know, voters don't want to see this sort of behavior carried out in in these forums. But for the most part, he's just been really pushing um, pushing his narrative, pushing his agenda, and um, trying to trying to get voters to uh, to pay attention to him instead. So. <laughs> right. So I mean, we can you know reasonably identify the the differences between a, a liberal candidate and a conservative candidate in a race. Are there any really stark differences between Judge Karofsky and, and Professor Fallon as the two sort of liberal-minded candidates in this race? I guess the – so they both believe in instituting a recusal rule, which is always a big issue in these in these Supreme Court uh, races. Um, a recusal rule would be, you know, instituting some sort of sub- – terminology or language that justices and and maybe judges down the line would have to follow if they got a certain level of contributions from a party that could appear or would is planning to appear before them um, so that the justice or judge would then have to not be involved in the case um, to kind of limit the the idea that their their vote is being bought or whatever. And, And their argument is that it would increase trust the public perception of of the court, the standing of the court in in um, you know state voters' minds, so they're they're aligned on that. You know the details are a little fuzzy. So again, that's just a perennial issue that always comes up in these races, and 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 they're they're in on that. Um, but yeah, going back to the de- debate, I think we've seen just their personality traits are, are quite different. Um, Judge Karofsky obviously is not afraid to engage with with the incumbent sure. justice. Um, <laughs> she some punches. Uh, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so their style is very, very different as well when they're is sort of approaching these forums and and just how they are, they've been conducting their campaigns in the race so far. So that primary, again, is coming up on February 18th. Uh, two will emerge from that to go on to the April 7th election, which is also the presidential primary here in Wisconsin, which uh, throws in a, another interesting dynamic as that will be a more contested race among Democrats. So could skew the, the turnout on that. But that's 
feels like a long way from now, but not really. <laughs> yeah, it's super interesting, too, yeah. because we have the, the obviously the presidential primary, but on, on the same date, we have the primary for the um, very conservative 7th Congressional District. That's right. That's a good point. So that could bolster turnout in that part of the state, while obviously Democrats would be turning out to support whichever candidate they want to see advance. Um, and then, the you know, the, the Supreme Court race is kind of caught in the middle of all this. So yeah. I can't wait to see how that shakes out. That'll be fun. Mm-hmm. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. Well, speaking of presidential elections and primaries, I guess that's what most of the rest of the country has been focusing on this week with the State of the Union and with the Iowa caucuses, which at the time at which we were speaking are still not finished <laughs> with the uh, result well, releases. We've got 62% still. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe by the time this comes out on Friday, we'll know, or maybe we'll nev- never will. <laughs> I never, I never say this, but I'm so glad I'm in Wisconsin where we have yeah, <laughs> none of that. None, none of, of that none the drama from Iowa. <laughs> we get plenty of our own drama, exactly. just not caucus drama, thank goodness. Um, and we may get our own primary drama come April. I'm sure we'll, everyone keeps saying we're going to be the center of the political universe. But we will one way or another because the DNC will be holding its national convention in Milwaukee in July. And part of the fun of being at a convention or covering a convention or being involved in any way with a convention is that you're there all day and night and you're inside participating in all these things. And then it's late and you want to go out and maybe have a beer or two, but maybe the bars are closing. So legislators are trying to extend bar time in Milwaukee till 4 a.m., What's happening there? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a it's a really interesting um, proposal that uh, different groups have been pushing for since uh, Milwaukee was announced as the DNC host last spring. So this has been something that's an idea that's been kicked around for a while. It's not unique to Wisconsin. Other states that have hosted an RNC or a DNC have done similar things in the last couple cycles. But basically, what they what, what this proposal would do and uh, the Cap Times obtained a bill draft last week. Um, the bill is being chiefly drafted by Representative Swearingen, a Republican in the state assembly. But he his proposal would seek to allow more than a dozen counties in southeastern and southern Wisconsin, so that includes Dane and Milwaukee, and a bunch of con- uh, counties in between. Um, it would allow them to keep their bars, um, taverns open until 4 a.m. to kind of accommodate that DNC crowd and allow them to still you know, allow allow people that are, you know, s- stuck on site till midnight and then maybe have to commute back to their hotels a- across southern and southeastern Wisconsin to still go out and get a drink after and help stimulate the uh, those industries and, and help them um, make the most out of this experience. The thing, though, is that the bill doesn't just contain that language. The bill draft doesn't. It also contains a proposal to license wedding barns, which are obviously have received a lot of <sighs> scrutiny yeah. um, and are very sort of contentious issue in the state because there's debate over how and to what extent they should be regulated. Um, so the wedding barn pieces in there, we have um, provisions in there to ensure that the, the state fair can can legally allow its vendors to sell alcohol, which is obviously very important to all of us. Yes. <laughs> Even you, a, a cream puff hater. I still want to have alcohol at the state fair. You at least need to have the alcohol if you're not going to eat the cream puffs. I so. would even drink a cream puff flavored beer. Just 
don't want to eat one. Holding you to that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sponsors come at us. Anyway, so so that um, there is Road America, which is in um, Elkhart Lake. That r- giant racetrack covers two or three municipalities, so it's really difficult to get vendors licensed there. And we want to make sure people who are going there have access to alcohol legally, you know. So <laughs> that would be addressed in the legislation and a couple other provisions as well. So it's a pretty wide-ranging bill that seeks to, you know, tackle all of these alcohol, alcohol-related issues. The problem is um, we're not sure, since it is coming up pretty late in the session, how far it can get um, <laughs> or or if, it, if, if it's possible that it could be amended to just allow a clean version of the bill quote-unquote clean, including only the DNC hours component to get through the to get through both chambers and to the governor's desk. So the hope here is here are all of these little alcohol issues, well, little and big alcohol issues that have existed throughout the state that maybe we can just tackle them all in one fell swoop. But because some of them are contentious, that puts the DNC hours at risk. Yep, that's that's correct. Okay. Well, I hope they can come to some sort of resolution because I, for one, would like to have a beer at the end of the night when I'm done covering (laughs) TNC. Um, And some not so fun or positive news coming out of the DNC planning. Uh, Two leaders of the host committee, which is responsible for the fundraising that is associated with the DNC. Important to note, not part of the actual team that puts on and runs a convention. That's its own entity, but this is the DNC host committee. Um, their top leaders were ousted after accusations of a toxic work environment. And uh, I think that was first reported in the Journal Sentinel by Dan Bice and others have been following up on that. But uh, can you give a little context on what's going on there? Yeah. So um, the president, Liz Gilbert, and her chief of staff were both fired. But yeah, it, it came after the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reported that senior female staffers um, had accused the two of them as particularly the chief of staff, of um, bullying and intimidating them. Um, and then they said that Liz Gilbert, the president again, um, didn't didn't intervene or do anything to address those concerns. Um, so Gilbert's attorney, it's worth noting, has uh, refuted those claims of a toxic workplace and said that, you know, Liz Gilbert is just a, a strong female leader and that's kind of, this is just, you know, the result of, of her embodying that in her leadership style. So... And the reactions that we've heard from other Democratic leaders in the state, like um, the party chair, Ben Wickler, um, Senator Tammy Baldwin, they've been pretty clear that that's not the kind of workplace that they want involved in a convention that's put on here in Wisconsin or anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. And Governor Evers, too, um, addressed addressed the issue on Tuesday with reporters and said similar things. Yep. Well, thanks for making some time to catch us up on what's been going on in the Capitol and I guess from the Capitol to Milwaukee and beyond. I'm sure we will be back here many times in the coming months to go over elections and legislation and get updates on everything. Yeah, that's right. Thanks so much for having me. Like to me. And since my heart still likes to be, I'm coming home. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll be back every other Friday with new episodes, so make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you like this podcast, you can check out the Cap Time's other offerings like the Mad Splainers and the Corner Table. And if you have any feedback or suggestions for me, you can find me on Twitter at jessieopie, or you can email me at jopoyan at madison.com. We'll see you next time. Wisconsin.
This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.